Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember that you can view the video on my Facebook page, Donna's Interviews, Reviews and Giveaways, or you can also review the video on YouTube. Um, just search for my name, uh, Donna Morfitt. Uh, surname's M-O-R-F-E-T-T, and you should be able to find it quite easily. Um, if you want any people to be interviewed, then please let me know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Poor unfortunate dog walker finds a package that he's not expecting when he lets his dog off the lead in some woods near Fakenham in North Norfolk um, and the dog discovers a, a body of a young man who's almost not quite naked and wrapped up in a ground sheet and um, yeah and that's the, the, the investigation unfolds from there. And uh, yeah, so it's Sarah's second big case and uh, it gets involved in, the, in, in sort of quite a lot of the area uh, around where I live uh, in so I'm, I'm between the broads and the coast. So if you look at the map, our little village is, is sort of the broads are on one side of us and, and the North Norfolk coast is on the other. And we're one of these tiny little nondescript villages in the middle. But we're nice and quiet. Um, but all around that area, um, I, I just find it fascinating around here that it's not what people think of because you, you, you spoke of coming up here on holiday. And that is how people think of the area. And, and, and we're all very glad that they do. But the people who live here, it's a, it's a rather different place and it's rather more remote than people would think. Um, and people here are quite private, so they don't they don't tend to interfere. They, you don't get a lot of curtain twitching or just come round for a coffee like I used to have when I was born and brought up in, in Yorkshire. Um, and so it's, it's kind of things get under the wire a little bit here. Um, and people are less prone to uh, oh I saw that I saw a strange car in the street um, you know they're less prone to kind of talk about things like that so it's much harder for the police here to to do some of the things that they need to do um, and of course if you get into rural villages and places like um, you know where they find this body which is a, actually a, a set of woods that uh, are like uh, open ground they're like common commons um, and you can go walk in there with your dog they don't, kind of don't belong to anybody so there's no cctv there's no one to see what you're doing there's no you know so it's it makes it much harder when you're working in a rural environment to do some of the things that that you would normally expect to find on a police procedural um, so so I, I think it brings its own interest and its own uh, difficulties so it may not be perhaps as um, uh, complex as maybe you might get on an estate in a big city, you know, with gangs and kind of difficulties like that. They might not be the same things necessarily, but you have other difficulties that feed into, um, you know, how, how are you going to find this out? Um, and this boy's in a care home, he's been in a care home and he's gone missing. Uh, so he's uh, got no family and he's gone missing and the care home just haven't noticed that he's not come down for breakfast. Um, and it's the teacher at school who sees that he's not in her class and he's normally in her class. 
um, and goes up to the care home and, and says, is he all right? Is he sick? Has he been knocked off his bike? Because he goes everywhere on a favoured push bike. Um, and that's the sort of the unravelling of the uh, of the story of uh, they find out how this boy is. Um, so I guess the second book, the theme of the second book is really is family and having a good family or having no family or not necessarily having a family that's good to you. Um, what influence does that have on the sort of life that you might end up leading? So, yeah. So that's what they, they've, they've got to find out who's done this to Callum, poor young Callum. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting actually with the, I mean, you know, obviously when a crime's committed, first question, everyone wants to know CCTV. So mm. take that mm. away then. Yeah, that does create interest. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, forensics are not always as clear cut as people think. That again is the myth, isn't it, of, of, of crime fiction? Um, it's not always as simple as it seems. And then they come across the problem that they do find some forensics, but the person whose forensics or DNA it is, is not on anybody's database. So <laughs> that's a dead end, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So they have to be on, on a database. And it, it was interesting, uh, again, talking to my friend Jane, the retired DI, um, that you you can apply to be taken off a database, off the DNA database. So you may have been used for elimination purposes, um, you know, because, I don't know, you were at a party and something happened. Um, but, you know, so many weeks later, you can go, I don't want to be on your database, and they have to remove it because it's no longer pertinent to an inquiry. So there are lots, of, and I'm sure lots of people know this, this kind of thing, and it presents difficulties, more difficulties than, than perhaps um, readers or, or um, TV viewers might, might realise. Yeah. But yeah. you know all about it, having because you're doing <laughs> Yeah, I, I learned about being removed from the database from a fiction, you know, from a crime fiction book. I had no idea. But, um, right, yeah. right. right. I hadn't, I didn't have a clue that you could have, I think even when, I don't know, even when you've committed a crime, um, but yeah, but yeah, DNA, what amazed me probably more than anything during my course is actually how unhelpful evidence is generally. I have a friend. <laughs> oh. Yes, I know. Come and say hello to Donna. There you go. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I know sometimes people, they um, kind of go, why do you do this or why do you do that? Um, and sometimes you have to say it's for the expediency of the plot. I don't want you to wait four weeks to find out what that <laughs> result from that test is or, um, you know. Um, and so sometimes you do have to take liberties and, and that's a fact. But, and again, listening to Graham talk, uh, Graham Bartlett talk, you know, it's about getting it so that it's believable um, as much as anything, if you have to take liberties with it. I mean, I'm very lucky I have, uh, Jane still reads my stuff for, for bloopers. <laughs> and um, I have another friend who is a, a, a DI for the uh, National Crime Agency. He was actually into forensic accounting well <laughs> makes me wince forensic accounting um yeah um but yes he was yeah. and 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 they both helped me with procedures and you know what, what 
what would be acceptable and and if I write a scene where they're interviewing something and and, and I you know they go no they wouldn't ask a question like that can't ask that <laughs> no they're leading the witness you can't do that <laughs> so that just gives you keeps you an edge of, of keeping it realistic you know which I, I think personally I feel that's very important yeah yeah <laughs> Um, did you always want to write? As you've said, you've done quite a few different things. So did you always, were you one of them people that wanted to do it from child? Yeah, I think I did. Um, I mean, when, when my kids were very little and I was stuck at home, um, stuck at home, that sounds awful, doesn't it? When I was a full-time mum, it didn't suit me, I have to say. I went to work, back to work when my little one was two. But um, when I was there, I used any nap times to write and I sometimes got like short stories published and uh, little articles that I wrote that, that got in magazines and things like that. Um, and I did, back in the day, I did write a couple of novels, a YA novel and an adult novel, um, neither of which were, they had crimes attached to them, but they weren't crime fiction as such. But I never did anything with them. I never sent them anywhere um, because I just didn't think they were good enough. And, and they still sit in a file in a bottom drawer somewhere. And maybe one day I'll amuse myself by reading them. They're like 30 years old, you know, um, before mobile phones or anything, you know. Um, and then because I did a lot of um, amateur acting and I wanted to go into professional acting, that sort of became an overriding thing. And it, it sort of pushed the the writing aside so that I could could do that but once I got into uh, the entertainment industry as such you know per se um, I started producing a lot of my own theatre um, because I live up in Norfolk and it's quite difficult to get acting work here there's, there's not a lot of it professionally um, then I start I put Put together my own little theatre company and we started touring plays and I got I went back to writing so I wrote plays for myself often one woman plays for myself um, and collaborated with people uh, creating plays um, and so I sort of inched back into the writing doing that um, and I for a long time I'd wanted to do the MA at the UEA and sort of hesitated because I thought oh I don't have the right background I don't have the right background um, but then they brought along the crime fiction speciality route and I thought that's it that's the one uh, that's my favorite kind of reading that's my favorite kind of watching um, that's what I want to do and I thought even even if nothing comes of it if I can get on the course then at least I can explore you know what what I would like to do with it um, and I, I, I was lucky I got on the first year that I applied. Um, and as I say, I had this imposter sat on my shoulder because um, <laughs> on the very first morning we walked in and um, we were basically, you only go in for two days a term and the rest of it is done online and Skype and, and uh, you know, and group chats and things like that. And on the first morning we walked in, we got introduced and we met the tutors and da, 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 and they said, congratulations, you're getting on the course. And we all said, oh, thank you very much. 700 people applied for your places and 12 of you are here. And I kind of went, <gasps> I think we all did really, <laughs> to be fair. Um, 
So there was a weight of expectation that you were going to take it seriously and, and work hard, you know. Um, and yeah, I was, yeah, it was an amazing experience and I'd recommend it to anybody. I really would, if, if they're that, if they're that way inclined. It, as I say, it wouldn't necessarily be the right route for everybody. Yeah. Um, what sort of books did you read then? What did you read growing up? And then what sort of books did you read that encouraged you to go into crime fiction? Yeah, I mean, even, even as, a, as a youngster, I used to like um, certain types of crime fiction. Um, I mean, good old Enid Blyton. I, I know people are down on her, um, but I used to, used to read, uh, they were called the Barney Mysteries, I think, uh, Ring of Bells and Rillaby, and, and they were actually just straight crime fiction for kids. Um, and I, I like that kind of thing. Um, and I, I suppose at school you get encouraged to read a lot of classic literature, don't you? You know, because of your, you know, learning your English literature. So I kind of had a, a phase of going through lots of classic literature and ploughed my way through War and Peace. I am that person. Never, <laughs> done that, never again. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, just the once was fine. Um, <laughs> um, and that kind of thing. And then I suppose when I was doing my my d degree with the OU because I was working full time, I had kids, then you read what you had to read for the course. So like everything kind of shut, shut down at that point. Um, and when I found I had free time to read, then I, I headed back to the crime fiction and I loved it. I, people like um, Anne Cleves and Belle McDermott and Ian Rankin. Um, and I was all to uh, Peter Robinson's at DCI Banks and things like that. Um, and I picked up on those kind of things and I, I do read things like psychological thrillers and, and domestic noir and things like that. But I was very particularly always keen on series and police series um, and realised that I was also watching that on the telly a lot, that that was my preferred choice of types of crime was, was that. Um, and so it sort of seemed because that was my favourite way of reading, my favourite entertainment of reading. Um, it seemed the logical thing to do um, and I, I, I still enjoy my literary reads I still like um, Sarah Perry's my current favourite um, The Essex Serpent uh, and all that um, and you know I still enjoy reading that that kind of fiction but I will always go back it's almost like every other book I read is, is, a, is a crime novel um, I'm currently working my way through Helen Durrance, uh, Caladine and Baylis, um, to working my way from front to back of that one. I love being able to do that, to follow a series. I, I think that's great. And watch the characters grow from book to book. It's brilliant. Um, and so it seemed a logical choice. And, and I kind of ummed and ahed about applying for the course um, because you could do things like script writing and poetry and literary fiction and, um, and translation and biography. Um, and I thought, mm, I'm not really, I, I want to do the course, but I'm not burning to write a biography of a particular person. Or, um, And then they brought in this new strand with the crime fiction. And I just thought, that's it. That, that's the right one. That is the right selection for me. And it just completely made sense. And, um, and as I say, it was, it was a good choice for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's such an amazing story. 
Um, and our reading list, our reading list in the first year had 120 books on it. <laughs> Needless to say, we didn't read, didn't all read them all. <laughs> but yeah, that was lovely as well, because that introduced us to types of fiction that, types of crime fiction that you might not otherwise have read, which was great. So that really broadened the scope of what you might write yourself, which was the point of it, of course. Yeah, I don't think I'd have time to do that. I'm on so many arc lists that <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> I read the next arc, <laughs> don't read. Read the set list, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, uh, yeah. What's the most interesting thing you found out researching so far? Oh, um, gosh, I think I'm, I really quite, I, it's going to sound a bit toadying, but I'm really quite interested in the friend, um, the, the kind of things that um, happen in a, when a crime takes place, what's left behind and how little a thing can be left behind that can be important. But if it's too small, it's, it's no good. And it's that fine line. Um, and I think forensics will always play a part in my, in my writing because I am particularly interested in, in what that does. Um, and I do have a point in, in book two where um, forensics come up, but they don't actually, they prove that people were at a place, but they don't show who did what to whom. So, you know, that, that, that has to come from somewhere else. Um, so I, I like that kind of, um, that research into that. Um, and I think also it's opened a lot of doors for me in terms of having to think about um, people's lives that, that may not touch mine. So when I, I decided that um, my young victim was in a young person's uh, care home um, and it wasn't run by the council, it was run privately and that opened a whole can of information I don't want to say worms because that sounds awful but it was a whole other kind of area of of people's lives that people live like that that I knew nothing about um, and I found that interesting so to, to find out about other people's lives because I've not ever touched on it personally and so I, I'm interested in how, how people live that's outside my own personal experience as well. So that's great fun, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, if you were a character in your books, would you get on with your main character? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a, um, a lot of admiration for her um, because, and I, you should have admiration for all your characters and an actor will always tell you that you should always find something you like about your character, even if you're playing Hitler. Um, so, but you, I think as I've got to know her better through the process of writing the books, I think she's, she is vulnerable on a personal level, but she's a tough cookie as well. And she's very professional. And I think that's come out for me much more. Um, and as someone who's always worked for a living and as a woman who's always worked um, and had to support family on my own and that kind of thing, um, then I admire professional women 
you know, that, that, that kind of step up to the mark. I, I have um, a great admiration for that. And I'm finding that Sarah is doing that more and more, that she's um, stepping up to the mark on behalf of victims more and more as time goes by. Yeah. So I, I really admire that quality. And it's funny because it's almost like they're separate people to you, even though you're making them up yourself. <laughs> um, they do acquire a kind of, um, you know, a persona of their own. And they, I wouldn't say they talk to me, I don't hear voices. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you have a vision of them, a physical vision of them and, and um, how they would speak or how they, what their uh, vocal mannerisms might be or, or their physical mannerisms might be and their reaction to things. Um, and for those who've read the first book, um, the, 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 the uh, sort of long in the tooth DC that she falls out with in the first book, Mike Bowen, is still there. Um, but they're learning to live with each other. <laughs> so she's a go-getting 30-something, you know, uh, metropolitan. And, and he's this kind of seen it all, done it all, been there. Uh, <laughs> kind of wait for retirement guy, you know. Um, but they're learning to get along. They're learning to respect each other and, and find value in each other's um, opinions and work. And I thought that's quite nice that they've sort of progressed for that. So I'm, I'm starting to sneakily quite like Mike Bowen as well, the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your ultimate goal um, now you're an author? What's your biggest dream? Oh, I suppose, like everybody, I would love to see my books on screen. Um, I'd love to see my books on telly, but everyone's going to say that. Um, I've even deliberately written a character in now that, that's my part. <laughs> as an actor. Um, no, I've written a character so that I can be in it. Um, uh, yeah, sure, that's, that's the pipe dream. Um, but I think in practical terms, I, I just want the ideas to keep coming. I'm enjoying the process so much now of writing and, and developing these characters over time and their relationships, the team's relationships with each other, um, that I, I want that I want the ideas to keep coming so that I can keep doing that. Um, and I think that's what's most important to me now is to is to find genuine reasons for them to to keep moving on and developing this team and what's happening to them. I'm not going to tell you what's happening in book three, <laughs> but they're all still there. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. to know. <laughs> um, and are you planning on carrying on with the series for as long as possible, or do you want to buy any standalones just to break it up? I, that's a very interesting question, actually. I mean, yes, I do want the series to carry on very much. Um, but I think sometimes uh, mentally it's quite nice to um, to do something that's different just to um, exercise slightly dif different bits of your imagination. Um, over the winter, uh, I wrote a series of ghost stories, which I put together on a theme um, as a novella. I'm not sure what to do with it at the moment, but I have them. <laughs> and, that, and that was, um, you know, so that was something I did sort of around Christmas. When, when the days were short and the nights were long and it was dark a lot and it felt quite ghostly. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, maybe sub subliminally, I think I'm Susan Hill and I'm going to write a ghost story every so often. And I don't know. Um, 
Uh, so yeah, and I think it just depends what ideas come to you and, and what crimes in many ways come to you. Um, I mean, I have got to the point now where I can barely watch the local news in, in case something comes up and I go, I must remember that. I didn't know they did that. Or I didn't know there was one of those there. <laughs> I could put a body there. <laughs> you know. um, so you are kind of fed lots of things, I think. But yeah, I, I wouldn't rule out doing doing standalones or, or a second series. But at the moment, my focus is with Sarah and Norfolk SCU. So, yeah. yeah. Um, if you were able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend the day with? Oh, um, Dorothy L. Sayers. She always, I, she's my heroine, really, in many ways. Um, you know, she was one of these between the wars, sort of liberated feminists, really, um, making her own living, working in advertising, living in the Bloomsbury set. I What a thing to go and see. I'd love to go and see all that sort of 20s, 30s stuff. That's a period that really, really intrigues me. And I love her books. I love Lord Peter Whimsey and Harriet Vane. I think they're amazing. They're great characters. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see her and, and, and take her for lunch. <laughs> and she could tell me all about her writing. <laughs> yeah, pick her brains. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, would you consider writing in any other genres? Um, I suppose in a way I have because ghost stories aren't, aren't um, crime, crime fictions. They sort of are because the stories are based on the babes in the wood, which is a crime in its own right. Um, but that's not the purpose of the stories to uncover that crime. So, um, yeah, I think I think if I did genuinely want to go into an entirely different genre that maybe historical fiction would be the one I would look at. But um, the, the, I think it would probably end up being historical crime fiction, you know, like Shard Lake <laughs> or um, I love Nicola Upson's work when she does the Josephine Tay novels, which she sets between the wars. Um, yeah, that, that sort of thing might, might be a, a, a way to go at some point in the future. Hmm. Um, as you've done um, creative writing, does that make you a planner? Are you taught that or do you still just wing it? <laughs> no, no, I just, uh, the, I, th I, I think planning's a great thing if, if it suits you. Um, and, and the course encouraged us to find our own method, so our own work method. And I have had to accept by book three that I'm, I'm a, a, free, a freewheeler. <laughs> so I set off with a basic premise and a basic crime uh, and my three points of view, uh, which I stick rigidly to the three points of view. Um, and then I let the characters tell me what they're up to. And, and it usually works out. And my first draft, um, uh, along with one of my colleagues, Wendy Turbin, who, who publishes with Hobart, um, we write what we call the dirty draft that we won't let anybody see because by the time we get sort of 50,000 words in, the things that we were writing at 5,000 words need editing out anyway because <laughs> we've changed our minds four times, you know. <laughs> so, so, nobody actually, so that nobody actually sees that first draft. 
um, because it's uh, it's really a way of working your brain through what can I do with this? Who can do what to whom? Is that, you know, is that viable? Would they have time? What could they, you know, what drug would they take if they were... I, I, my search, like many crime writers, my search history is appalling. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday I was re, re, uh, researching ketamine and rehypnol. So, um, and then you get carried away researching things, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, so I'm a bit freewheeler, but I do, the, 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 the discipline I got out of the course was to write regularly. So not just to wait for inspiration, you know, I sit down every afternoon and I write and I try to write between a thousand and two thousand words a day um, to get to the end of my dirty draft. So um, that that would get me somewhere between 80, 80 and 90,000 words, which I then go back because I know where now where I'm wanting to end up. I can go back and make sure I haven't missed anything, that that scene is useful. So then you can get technical uh, and that's how I work best. So I'd hoped I might I might be a better planner by now, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. <laughs> No, I don't think I ever could be. <laughs> Even essays for uni and stuff, I still don't plan anything. I just go for it. <laughs> I'm not sure I can say it works for me, but hey, that's what I'm doing. So. <laughs> um, have you made lots of author friends? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, and a lot of them in lockdown through um, things like like this and talking to people online and um, things like uh, your uh, Facebook page and some of the other Facebook pages. Um, I re-met somebody that I knew from oh, 15, 20 years ago, Alex Scarrow, who's oh, just just his firm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I actually taught Alex drama in an adult drama class years ago. And oh, wow. He suddenly went, that is you, isn't it, Judy? And I went, that is you, isn't it, Alex? And, and you know, so it, it, things, things go round and come around, don't they? You know, um, so, yeah. And, and as I say, the Joffrey author, author group are, are really supportive, really supportive. Um, and I keep in touch with almost everybody who was on the course with us. Uh, we've been very good at keeping in touch. So we've almost become like our own author group, the people who were in our year together. Um, and, and so we, we read each other's work and we still do criticals on each other's work and, and uh, you know, sort of go, oh, look, this competition's open. Has anybody got anything, you know, and things like that. So um, that's also very supportive. And interestingly, far more so than ever happened to me when, you know, when I left drama school, um, I still talk to some of those people online, um, but unless you actually work with somebody on a show, you tend to sort of lose touch because it's such a, a kind of ephemeral uh, thing to do to put on a theatre show. Um, whereas the, the writers are much more focused and concentrated and, and uh, you know, willing to, to help you and give you time, I think, to, for you to write the best book you can write. Uh, and I think that's amazing, amazingly generous. Yeah. Um, and do you get much feedback from readers? Yeah, yeah, 
Um, I've had some some lovely comments, um, some lovely reviews, um, some friends who like the stuff, some friends who don't like the stuff, but that's that's fair enough um, because you you know you, you can't write for everybody, um, and I think if people have something very particular that um, they do or don't like, then it's always worth knowing that um, because it's even if someone doesn't like something there's a reason why and and i can potentially learn something about my characters and how i'm presenting them because they don't like that particular aspect of that person now it doesn't mean to say that you would necessarily act on everything because you'd be pulled here there and everywhere um but it can be very enlightening um so yeah and, and i've been very lucky i've had some lovely feedback and of my author website as well as uh, on Amazon, you know, the um, reviews on Amazon. So they are very worthwhile. I know a lot of people say, oh, don't read your reviews and you'll get upset and things like that. And yes, of course you can be hurt because you put a lot of work into something. Um, but I, once I got over the hurt, I kind of go, why did they say that? What have I, why have I disappointed that person? Do I want to do anything about it next time? Is that a criticism that, that is worth paying attention to? And then occasionally you get people who go, no, nah, they don't do that. But I don't know. Um, I had one guy, bless him, he gave me five stars, but he went, that's not the NFU mutual that I know. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, sorry, it probably isn't. He's probably right. Um, uh, and he's probably it's probably a very valid comment but i needed the nfu mutual to do something specific for me in the plot unfortunately so, <laughs> so they had to they had to bend to the authorial voice <laughs> yeah um what's your biggest fear and would you or have you written about it oh no i suppose i haven't really um I tend to keep things at arm's length when I'm writing. Things happen to my characters. Interestingly, uh, book three is proving personally a little bit more interesting um, because it's touching on something that happened to me, although not in this context, um, that has to do with a lot with the current conversation about uh, women and violence against women. Um, so yeah, it's, it's actually quite difficult that if you are going to go into something like that, that if you've had personal experience, it's quite difficult not to um, use that as a, 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 like a catharsis almost, writing, you know, writing is therapy. And that's not what a novel is about. A novel is about entertaining people. Um, so yeah, I, I think nowadays, my, my really my biggest fear actually is running out of time that I still feel I have so many stories I want to share and so many things I want to do. And I worry that I'm not going to, you know, get, um, get, get it all out really. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do all these wonderful ideas that I've spinning around in my head that I have to make myself focus on, on the one that I'm doing now not the one that I might do next or the one that I might do after that, you know. <laughs> Um, what's the funniest typo you've ever written? Oh, I don't know. I write so many. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I had to invest in a piece of software called Grammarly. So it pulled me up. <laughs> and I rarely, I rarely write 1500 words that doesn't have about 40 corrections in it. Because <laughs> so, I write stream of consciousness, really. Um, and I sort of go, oh, to heck with it. You know, I'll just, just write and uh, it's more the all the right words, all right letters, not necessarily in the right order. <laughs> that sort of thing, you know, rather than me writing rude things, particularly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your most embarrassing story? Oh, what personally or as a writer? <laughs> you. Um, Whatever you're willing I want to share. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge fan of a singer called Robert Plant. I don't know if you know of him. He used to be lead singer with Led Zeppelin and he's had this wonderful solo career. And he is often rumoured to go to this Cropperly Folk Festival that we go to at Brambury. And one day, um, because it's in a field and you're camping, like there's a little bit of beer imbibed and, and what have you. And I, I was walking back to my seat with the latest collection of beer for the family that my family are grown up, I hasten to add. Um, and stabbed me, there he was, stood talking to this bloke. And I went, I've been a fan of his for 40 years, I've got to get his autograph. And I, so I put my beers down in the middle of the dance area. I didn't care. I knew they were going to get kicked over. And I ferreted in my back pocket and I borrowed a biro of somebody. And I went up and I went, I've been a fan for like many like 40 years, please can I have your autograph? And he just sort of went, oh. yes, all right. <laughs> and I thought, and he obviously just wanted to like listen to the music and he was chatting to this guy about football and he, but like idiot here had recognised him going, <laughs> like some 14 year old, you know. And of course, when I turned around, all my beer had gone. It'd been all been kicked over and trampled, but never mind. I was happy. <laughs> yeah so but in retrospect I thought oh I'm so ashamed that I did that to him <laughs> but if you hadn't of you would have regretted it forever so you've got a yeah balance, I think. yeah maybe maybe <laughs> well you've not seen him since have you so gosh no well not not in that situation no, I've seen him perform <laughs> but not in that yeah. situation <laughs> so there you go see it was meant to be kind of yeah and <laughs> um, what would those closest to you say your worst habits are oh procrastination put off till tomorrow what you can do the day after <laughs> <laughs> that's why I've, I've surprised myself in, in being disciplined in writing every day actually to be fair um that i've surprised i'm surprised myself i've got into that um uh, to be self-disciplined. I suppose in retrospect, it's not that surprising. I did an open university degree and you have to be self-disciplined to do one of those, but I hadn't done it for 20 odd years, you know, so I, I, I'm glad the habits come back. But yeah, I, I'll always sit and drink a cup of tea and dunk a biscuit rather than actually work. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me trying to do my degree. <laughs> I'll do anything else. <laughs> Um, if you were to invite four famous people to a dinner party, who would you invite? Well, apart from Dorothy, I'll say is, uh, who else would I invite? Oh, Dame Judi Dench, 
because I hear she has a wicked sense of humour. <laughs> um, gosh, who else? Robert Plant, of course. He wouldn't come because I've embarrassed myself with him once already, <laughs> but I would ask. Um, and who else? Oh, gosh. Val McDermott. I, I've heard her speak on a number of occasions and she's, she's an, an amazing storyteller in real life and speaker so she will be great to have round for dinner I'm sure yeah um and what superhero power would you choose if you could have any 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 flying I'd love to get up there with the birds and see the world from up there yeah really <laughs> not do anything special with it just be able to maybe I should take up hang gliding or something I don't know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> um, no. What do you like to do when you're uh, when you're not writing? Craft. I'm a big crafter. Um, I do quite a lot of that. I make my own clothes. I make quilts. I cross stitch and I crochet. So yeah, that I I I'm not someone who watches a lot of television in the evenings. You know, I, I'm generally got something in my hands that I'm doing while it's on. Um, so it's a good TV programme that makes me put down my stitching and actually sit and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a big crafter. That's my other thing. Um, so you've got your second book out tomorrow and then you're working on your third. And then yeah. do you know what's next after that? Uh, well, I have an idea for book four um, that involves um, an old RAF base. Um, of which the North 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 oh well the Norfolk countryside is littered with abandoned Second World War bits and bobs. Um, so I think that that's that's possible. That's a possibility. I might go there. Um, and I also have another idea for another ghost story as well. So I, if it gets uh, dark and difficult over in the in the winter months again, I might write another ghost story. So yeah. <laughs> so that's where I'm aiming. Awesome. Well, I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked that you want to tell us. Uh, no, I, I suppose the only thing I haven't mentioned is that the um, there's going to be an audio deal, or there is an audio deal for the books. So they're going to start coming out as well. Um, um, the first one, uh, Under Violent Skies, is out on the 20th of April. It's an audio book. Um, and uh, Into Deadly Storms will be later on in the year because obviously they take time to produce. Um, so there's that to look forward to as well. So if you like your books to listen to your books, then then they'll be available that way as well, which is which is really great. I'm really pleased about that. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Mm. Um, so do you want to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can find your books? Yeah, so my books are... Uh, published by Joffe and they're available on Amazon so you can get Kindle, Kindle Unlimited or paperbacks uh, from Amazon uh, and obviously the, the, the new ones from tomorrow but you could pre-order this evening if you feel like it. Um, the audio books will be across lots of platforms but um, Audible and, and a number of others as well. Um, if you want to know more about me um, I have uh, an author web page or uh, website which is just uh, Judy Dakin uh, that's it, just judydakin.co.uk. Uh, and I do put up things about what's happening and uh, release dates and, and if I'm chatting to people or if I'm um, 
yeah, like next week I'm uh, on the crime panel for Tamworth Literary Festival. So you, you get little blogs and things uh, telling you what's going on with me. Um, and then my uh, Facebook page, Judy Dekin, author, um, I keep that up to date as well. So um, again, same information uh, funnels through that as well. I'm not so good on Twitter. I'm not, not so good with Twitter. I do try. But, so I'm at Norfolk Novelist if you want to look me up on twi Twitter. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, it's been such Hi, welcome to the latest episode of my podcast, which is the audio recording of an interview. The video version is available on Facebook, YouTube, and most of the time on Instagram. My Facebook group is called Donna's Interviews, Reviews and Giveaways and all the links to everything else are on there. Um, if you want any feedback or if you want to suggest any authors you'd like to see, I'd really appreciate it. Hope you enjoy.